Let's um, let's bow together. Let's have a word of prayer. If you can, can uh, kneel with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together here and to worship thee as one in spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that uh, you will pour out the Holy Spirit upon each one of us as we open your holy word. We pray that you, the Spirit will, uh, will give us insight. We've been studying about gospel order and how the family, the original family that you, you created and you had in order can teach us lessons about church order and that we can hasten our Savior's return, finishing this work. Father, we pray that you'll forgive us for our sins. We stray way too often. We take our eyes off of, off of Jesus and we look at the problems that we have. And the devil, he has a lot of rabbits for us to chase. So please forgive us, Lord. Help us to keep looking up. I pray, Lord, that you will be with those who are ill. We think of um, our good friend, Mama Denny her husband, Kurt, who's had some, some health issues, some serious ones possibly, Lord. We pray especially for his heart, that he'll come to know thee again and receive you. We pray for Rollins' mother. We also lift up Alo, Deb's client. We pray that you'll be very near to her, Lord and especially her daughter Inga. May the Holy Spirit work in her life to open her eyes to see Jesus. Father, be with us now as we open your word, and may we, we discern the truth, and more than anything else, cultivate a love for it and put it into practice. Have that love in our heart. And Jesus is seen in us, and we can reach the world. Let's have that love for one another. Give me the words to speak now, Lord, I pray. Not my words, but thy words. In Jesus' name, amen. This is part two of our study uh, that I entitled, Jewels for His Crown. And... I hope it is as much a blessing for you as it, it, it is for me, you know, to learn God's will for the family. And when you start putting these things into practice when you're in your home, friends, you're going to receive the blessings. And, and I praise the Lord that He is a God of order. And He, he wants us to be happy. Uh, he wants us to have good health and to be happy. And, um, you know, if we would have been able to know these things when when we were younger you know we can always look back can't we um i just i'm amazed at how how much greater i think our family uh, would have been you know and maybe better results i don't know but uh, but i know that we we've learned this now you know and so uh, we can forget the past there's nothing that we can change about that so let's put it behind us. 
and let's look forward. Amen? And let's keep looking up. But it's really been a blessing for me, and I hope it has been for you. Now, in our studies, we've discovered some very good things concerning the family circle, haven't we? The term is specifically speaking about a a group of people who live under one head that keeps them all together, if you remember the definition from part one. And remember what we read in Isaiah chapter 40? Let's look at that again. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21 and 22. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. And this is speaking of our Creator God. It is He who sits upon the circle of the earth. Remember I'm talking about family circle. See, the picture here is that of God enthroned above uh, the vast heavens, and all are encircled under Him. And it's God that holds all things together, especially the family. In Psalms 47, verses 6 and 7, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. Do we sing enough praises to our God? For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. So God encircles the earth as king, keeping His family together. And God being a king, He has a crown. And that crown is filled with jewels. And the jewels in the crown of God represent each person that is redeemed. The crown of Jesus will have jewels within it that are representative of the redeemed. Malachi 3 verse 17 said, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So God says that all who belong to Him are jewels. They've been polished. From 1888 Materials, page 886, To save souls from death would be placing jewels in the crown of Jesus Christ and stars in our own crowns in the kingdom of heaven. So each soul that's saved from the second death is a jewel in the crown of Christ. Isn't that remarkable? You know how many crowns that would be? Or how many jewels that would be? (laughs) Now we've learned that in God's eyes, we're all children, aren't we? We are either His children, or we're children of the devil and that's our choice what's that God has given us the ability to create children so as to learn more about his character and about our own character as well and in that learning process there are specific responsibilities that God has required of parents And we covered these in in great detail in part one, but here's a quick refresher. First, that parents are to learn to love their children. You know, we we covered that in detail, and and some people uh, say to me, well, of course parents already love their children. Well, 
talking here about Christian love, about agape. Not just an emotional attachment, physical attachment, those types of things. It's the love of God. They have to learn to love their children. Second, the Lord has given parents the solemn obligation to train their children in the paths of righteousness as to His will. You see? Third, parents are to properly discipline their children. We covered that as well. Not to be overzealous, not to do it in anger, but to properly discipline as God disciplines us. Those He loves, He chastens and rebukes, the Bible says. And the fourth thing that we covered, we're to have rules for our home and consistently enforce them. And we learned that inconsistency in uh, uh, inconsistency provokes the child to anger. And you can read that in um, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Parents, in a part of that process, parents need to agree. They need to work in harmony in the training and discipline of the children. I know some uh, men who leave that all up to the mother. Now, you know, they need to agree or there will be conflict between the husband and wife. Let me share this with you from the Adventist home, page 314. The family firm must be well organized. Now, I've shared these with you before, but here's a refresher. The family firm must be well organized, we're told. Together, the father and mother must consider their responsibilities and with a clear comprehension undertake their task. There is to be no variance. The father and mother should never, in the presence of their children, criticize each other's plans and judgment. I want to bring that to your attention again because that happens a little too often. And what we need to do is, as people, we need to cultivate right habits. So when we start working on making changes, let's be consistent with it. We try to be. And then we can cultivate that into to a habit. It will be a righteous habit. And the other thing is, you know, the pendulum swings both ways, doesn't it? Parents got to be careful not to become too critical of their children because, after all, we need to remember that they are children that are learning. <laughs> Here's another one. The Adventist home, page 308. There is danger of too severely criticizing small things. Criticism that is... And, and this is... I've noticed this. If you get around negative people a lot... And yeah, I, I did a message called Negative Waivers. I call them Negative Waivers. They just put out nothing but negative waves. It is uh, contagious. It can be. And yeah, it rubs off, and, and especially on kids. And so if, if parents are overly critical, um, they criticize, severely criticize even small things, what's that going to do with the child? Right? We've got to be really, really careful about the pendulum and see what we're doing. You know, She says, Criticism that is too severe, rules that are too rigid, lead to the disregard of all regulations. And by and by, children thus educated will show the same disrespect for the laws of Christ. So we've got to have that balance in our homes, and Jesus will help us 
to make that balance. I just started years ago. I just I said, what's it worth on, you know, I would catch myself being overly critical or being just too negative, and it it damages our own health even, friends. So always, I tried to, and, and through grace, and I prayed, said, Lord, help me to look at the, the positive things. That the cup's half full, not half empty. You know, find the good thing. And uh, I've been a happier person ever since. I praise the Lord for that. And I encourage you to do the same. And especially with your children. Not, don't be so, too severely critical. They are children. Okay. And remember, how would you like God to uh, you know, uh, treat you like you treat your children? So, you know, that helps you. But there's, there's also, that goes along with that, that you're not, as a parent, to show favoritism either. Ever. You don't favor one child over another. Children must be treated fairly and justly. In Acts 10, verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That means God does not play favorites. And neither are we to play favorites. Parents need to keep their promises too, including the promise uh, to punish wrongdoing. Um, <laughs> I recalled how, you know, sometimes as parents you you just don't want to move, so you start counting. Okay, I'm going to count to three, thinking that the child. Well, it doesn't take the child very long. All you're teaching the child is, well, I'll wait till you get to three. Or I'll wait till you get to ten. See, it's not changing the attitude at all. But you need to act when you say you're going to act. And pretty soon they'll learn. And so, I hope that as we are looking at these things that you're, you're seeing a correlation um, in regards to the organization and function of the church. How we live as Christian parents and raise our children is how we will associate with members in the church. Friends. Now remember these quotes. I'm, I'm, I've shared them before. I'm going to share these two and we'll get, get into our subject here. The Adventist Home, page 319. In the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. It's in the home. The influences that rule in the home life are carried into the church life. Therefore, church duties should first begin where? At church? In the home. When we have good home religion, we will have excellent meeting religion. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hold the fort at home. Consecrate your family to God and then speak and act at home as a Christian. Sometimes... Um, People check that at the door when they get home. You know, there's an old saying. It says, you only hurt the ones you love. Is that the way it should be? <laughs> Here's the other one. Adventist Home, page 306. There is need for constant watching that the principles which lie at the foundation of family government are not disregarded. The Lord designs that the families on earth shall be symbols of the family in heaven. And when 
she says, earthly families are conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit will be brought into the church. And so, as I, I laid it out in part one of this uh, study, we as, as parents, those who are parents, and, and, and friends, even if you don't have children, and, and uh, you know somebody who does, <laughs> I mean, in the church there are kids. It's the same principles. As Christian parents, we are to encircle our children, to love them, to teach them, to discipline, and prepare them as missionaries to the world. And the same is to be done with each member of the church. The church is a training center, among other things. is a training center. We are to encircle, love, teach, discipline, if need be, and prepare the members to be missionaries for Jesus. Now, we want to take a look at a few things the Bible says about the children's responsibility to their parents and the family circle. Now, of course, when they get to an age of reason, that they can be learning these principles as they grow in the family. We need to be teaching our children from the earliest of age that we can. They have a responsibility to their parents and the family circle. And just as Moses was, uh, you read back in Exodus, that he was instructed to organize Israel. And each member of Israel had a role, they had a responsibility in Israel. We see that each child of God today has a role, has a responsibility in the church. It doesn't just end in the family. See, because the family is the training center. And that foundation goes into the church. The first item is that, and, and I'm going to try to move along here. Uh, we hope to have some of these, uh, our YouTube page updated and, and uh, some things like that so you can go back and, and watch these or listen to these. Anyway, uh, the first item is that children are to be subject to their parents. This means that children are are under the parents' authority and control. Parents are held accountable. They're held responsible for their children. In the same way, friends, church leaders called to God are held accountable and responsible for the flock of God. Now, this can be tricky depending on how some people have defined terms. God has given us free will to make whatever choices we want to make. But He has also organized the church in such a way that there are leaders to lead in the work. And with that calling comes authority as they stand in the place that the Lord wants them in the work of the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean authority over the brethren per se. It means authority to do the works of God. In other words, some have the authority to do the ordinances when others do not. You see what I'm saying? So they're not as a, a boss or employer over the brethren. 
but more as a servant leader who's there as a representative of God. Okay? Does that make sense? This is from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 270. Men whom the Lord calls to important positions in His work are to cultivate a humble dependence upon Him. They are not to seek to embrace too much authority, for God has not called them to a work of ruling, but to plan and counsel with their fellow laborers. You see the difference there. Every worker alike is to hold himself amenable to the requirements and instructions of God. So what happens is, the tendency, sad to say for some, maybe many today, is that they thirst for more authority. They want to be lifted up. See? But that's not the way God has organized His church. Here's another one. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 386. Here's the other side of it. How do members relate to leaders? She says, He who has placed upon men the heavy responsibility of leaders, so who's placed it upon them? God has. And so she says, He who has placed upon men the heavy responsibility of leaders and teachers of His people will hold the people accountable for the manner in which they treat His servants. We are to honor those whom God has honored. The judgment visited upon Miriam should be a rebuke to all who yield to jealousy and murmur against those upon whom God lays the burden of His work. Now I'll get into more and more of this as we we talk more specifically about roles, leadership roles, in the church itself. Deacons, elders, teachers, etc., but I wanted to bring that out so there's no misunderstanding what, what I'm saying. Children are to be subject to their parents. They're under their authority, under their control. Now, it's a little bit different with church members, but you can catch the principle. God has placed leaders there who He's called, and the members are to respect them and honor them as a child would honor their parent. You see, we we see a parallel in the responsibility then of a, of the child being subject to the parents and the church members submitting to those called of God to lead out in the work. They're not your boss. I'm not anybody's boss. But I'm a teacher, counselor. I guard the flock. You can choose and do whatever you want. <laughs> but as long as I'm speaking, and when I'm in this desk, in this pulpit, I'm speaking for God. If it lines up with Scripture, you know that I'm speaking for God. God's going to be watching your reaction to that. Okay. Now, if I'm giving you my own opinions from this desk, and my own interpretation of Scripture, you this is why you need to be checking me out. See? That's checks and balances, and we've kind of talked about that before. But we see a parallel there. I hope you see the parallel. Now, in Luke chapter 2, we'll get back to, so we get back to our main emphasis here, which is that uh, children are to be subject to their parents under their authority, under their control. Uh, it's for their training and upbringing and stuff. In Luke chapter 2, we read about the first time that Jesus went to the temple at Jerusalem. 
Remember, that was during that was also during a Passover feast. He was 12 years old, and he realized at that age, he realized more fully what his mission was, that he was the Savior. And he was found where? Where was he found at? He was in the temple, wasn't he? And so he was not only just in the temple, but he was teaching in the temple, 12 years old. The leaders were astounded by his knowledge of the Scriptures. You can read about this in, in the book Desire of Ages. Fantastic book, by the way. And his parents had left Jerusalem for home, but they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't with them until a day later. So they returned and they found him at the temple. He was listening to the teachers. He was asking them questions, really making them think. And when asked why he had stayed behind without telling them anything, what was it that he said? You remember? He said that he must be about my father's business. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Now, if you stopped right there, one would think that this was a very important thing for Jesus to be doing, right? I mean, he was 12 years old, and teaching in the temple. He'd come to a fuller understanding that he was the Son of God. So, because of that, he was above the rule of his parents, right? Why not? He's the Son of God. What? <laughs> you mean he no longer... I mean, he, he still needed to be subject to them? He... Yes? Well, what did Jesus do? Did he stay in the temple? Or did he go with his parents? He left, didn't he? Luke 2 and verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. In other words, what he had been teaching and what he had said about my father's business. And so, though he clearly, he disclaimed sonship to Joseph, remember, he nevertheless submitted to him. As a son is expected to submit to his father so long as he remains under his parents' roof. In fact, for 18 years before he left home, Jesus realized that he was the Son of God. Yet during those 18 years, he remained dutiful as a son to those who were his earthly guardians. From the book Lift Him Up, page 32. And this was an example, wasn't it? For children. So you can't say, you know, you can say, well, Jesus was the Son of God, He could do whatever He wanted. He submitted Himself to His parents as was right. Notice this, lift Him up, page 32. Notwithstanding the sacred mission of Christ, His exalted relationship with God, of which He was fully aware, He was not above performing the practical duties of life. He was the Creator of the world, and yet He acknowledged His obligation to His earthly parents. And at the call of duty, in compliance with the wishes of his parents, 
He returned with them from Jerusalem after the Passover and was subject unto them. So, children, what is your responsibility? You're to be subject unto your parents. You're not to be their slaves, but you're to be subject under your parents. And this is, this is very interesting. You see, as the Son of God, He might have considered Himself exempt from parental jurisdiction, let's say. But as an example to all youth, He was subject to His human parents. He was the example in all things, the Bible tells us. Even as a child. A, Right. I'll get into that a little bit later on here. That's okay. But you're to the 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 what this is what I'm saying here is is that you have to recognize that you're under your parents' authority. Now we'll talk about obedience in a moment. The second item is that children are to listen to their parents. Take the earbuds out, put the MP3s, you know, or the whatever you call them, the iPods away, or the phones now, and listen to your parents. You know, society encourages uh, children to disregard their parents' teachings and, and make their own choices. There's even There have even been children who have gotten lawyers involved and divorced their parents. ridiculous young people often think their parents are unreasonable or you just don't understand me you know <laughs> have you ever heard that one before you just don't understand yeah I've never been your age you know the Proverbs 4 verses 1 and 2 hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding for I give you good doctrine, forsaking not my law. Here's Solomon speaking. And he knows that, that the doctrine is good or he wouldn't be passing it on. See? He received it from his father. David. David had learned wisdom through long and often bitter experiences as well. He passed them on to his his sons, and he's saying, listen to the instruction that I have for you. Hear me. Children are to listen to their parents. Proverbs 6, verse 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. From the book Child Guidance, page 34. And this is, this is some good counsel here. Short remarks to the point will have a happy influence. So this is when parents are speaking to the children. If much is to be said, 
Make up for briefness by frequency. Repeat it. And as my wife always did, have them mirror it back to you. <laughs> a few words of interest, a few word of interest now and then will be more beneficial than to have it all at once. Long speeches burden the small minds of children. Too much talk will lead them to loathe even spiritual instruction. Just as overeating burdens the stomach and lessens the appetite, leading even to a loathing of food. So, shorter, you know, depending on the ages of the children. But the child's responsibility is to listen to their parents. Okay? If a parent lives up to their responsibilities, then their children will be more apt to live up to theirs. See? Because we're their examples. Children must listen to the instruction of parents and as Solomon saying, not forsake it, unless it is contrary, as Deb was asking, to the expressed will of God. But remember that parents are older. You hardly ever forget that. And they're more experienced. They may not be perfect. I throw that may not in there. <laughs> they may not be perfect. Neither are the kids. Yet they are still wiser. Just because they have lived longer and they have more experiences. Proverbs 15.5 A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. You don't want to be a fool, do you? And if parents want their children to know God as a personal friend, they must see that he is a personal friend to the parents. If parents don't speak of God, how likely is a child to want to know about God? Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so what? We, we need to have a daily walk with Christ before we can be what uh, Paul says, a living epistle read of all men. And our children read us as they grow up. A third item is that uh, not only is the child to be subject to their parent, not only are they to listen to their parent, but they are to obey their parents in the Lord. Rebellion, sad to say, because uh, we have an enemy, rebellion is admired and encouraged by the world. You see it in everything, especially in videos and movies and games and rebellion. Who is the rebel? The arch enemy of God, Satan. He's the first rebel. And so, he's the author of rebellion. And he encourages it. Today, you know, behavior that parents have disapproved of or are practiced openly or even, you know, by deception because everybody's doing it. I remember saying that to my mom before. My mom would always say, well, if they jumped off a bridge, would you? No, I'm not that dumb. You know, 
But there was still an excuse. Well, everybody's doing it, Mom. Or any other of a hundred other excuses, you know. Some parents accept such conduct as inevitable. I don't. A lot of parents do. Especially when they become teenagers and they want to be with girls. Right, Alex? Or girls want to be with the guys. Some parents, a lot of parents in our culture say, well, they're going to have sex anyway. I'd rather it be in my own home and be safe than out there somewhere else. What a reprobate mind to think of such a thing. How about saying, it's wrong? You know, if they they run away and do those things, that's between them and God then. But not under my house. You know, the Bible describes such conduct against the wishes of parents as disobedience and rebellion. And the good news is that this behavior can be changed, you see, with the help from Christ. He'll help you to live and uh, live under righteous principles. And he'll help the parents to enforce righteous principles within the family circle. Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. And you'll be happier, believe it or not, that your parents have rules. We're happy that God has rules. The Bible tells us the commandments are like a hedge built around us for our protection. Thus our happiness. Colossians 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Children are commanded by the Lord to obey their parents. Now he's not being arbitrary about it. It's for their best good. Review and Herald, December 18, 1900. There can be no safe departure from this injunction. The parent's will, when it is in harmony with the will of God, is to be law. You know, thinking about that and and the, the parallels that we see between family order and church order, let me ask you a question. Are church members to obey church leaders? Think about that for a moment. When a when a, a church leader speaks something that is in harmony with the will of God, is it to be law? Meditate on that question for a while. Think about that. Children are to obey all parental instructions unless they're told to do something sinful. And the fact that parents may have made mistakes or even sin does not justify disobedience by the children. If you're having difficulty obeying your parent, then the first place to begin is giving your will to Christ. So pray to Him. Ask Him to help you to become obedient to your parents. Adventist Home, page 298. Watch and pray and obtain a personal experience in the things of God. Your parents may teach you. They may try to guide your feet into safe paths, but it is impossible for them to change your heart. You must give your heart to Jesus and 
walk in the precious light of truth that He has given you. Faithfully take up your duties in the home life, and through the grace of God you may grow up unto the full stature of what Christ would have a child grow to be in Him. Very encouraging words there. Here's another one, Adventist Home, page 299. Children should pray for grace to resist the temptations which will come to them. Temptations to have their own way and to do their own selfish pleasure. As they ask Christ to help them in their life service to be truthful, kind, obedient, and to bear their responsibilities in the family circle, He will hear their simple prayer. A simple prayer, friends, from the heart is heard and answered by Christ. And teach your children to pray. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Nobody likes to be sad or angry or grumpy. or People like to be joyful, happy. Don't you want your joy to be full? From the book Our High Calling, page 264. When tempted to have your own way in regard to the wishes of your parents, say, <clears throat> say no, Jesus was subject to his parents. Ask help of Jesus, who knows the temptations of every child, of every youth, for he has been tempted and knows your every weakness and will help you to overcome it. That really goes for everybody, doesn't it? So children, let me tell you, it is the devil that is out to get you. It's not your parents. Ask the Lord Jesus to help you. Believe His Word that He will help you, and you will receive His help. A very simple prayer. Let me ask you this, kids. When it comes to your responsibility in the family circle, and I know I've covered some, what do you think would be your very first duty? I've never heard one get this. What's your very first duty? you know? Obey your parents? You're on kind of on the right track. Listen to this. This is from the Adventist Home, page 301. Your first duty is to help your mother who has done so much for you. That's your first duty. So even as small kids, see, first duty is to help your mother. Lift her burdens. Give her pleasant days of rest, for she has had few holidays and very little variety in her life. Huh? If she's a good mom. But you see, this is going to help mold your character to be like that of Jesus. See? Adventist Home, page 295. If you are truly converted, if you are children of Jesus, you will honor your parents. You will not only do what they tell you, but will watch for opportunities to help them. It's like that quote you have in the kitchen. In doing this, you are working for Jesus. He considers all these caretaking, thoughtful deeds as done to Himself. So, what do you think? Do you think God takes this seriously? 
Does God take disobedience seriously? Do you know what happened to rebellious and disobedient children in the days of ancient Israel? You do know. Deuteronomy chapter 21. A lot of people have never heard this. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones, that he die. So that, so shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. <laughs> They'll take you to the elders. Yeah, probably worse some who did that. I don't know. When you take them to the elders, I mean, they investigate it out. Yeah. So it's not like, I want to get rid of my kids, let's go to the elder. (laughs) You know. So the point I'm I'm trying to make here is that the child who refuses to righteously obey his parents at this time was worthy of death. And so are those who approved of such conduct. Now, I want to clarify, we no longer live in a theocracy under the Creator, and so we don't you know, take rebellious children out of our city and stone them to death. But they will suffer the second death unless they repent. So it is important. It's a principle we've got to understand. That Adventist homepage 294. Children who dishonor and disobey their parents and disregard their advice and instructions can have no part in the earth made new. The purified new earth will be no place for the rebellious, the disobedient, the ungrateful son or daughter. Unless such learn obedience and submission here, they will never learn it. The peace of the ransom will not be marred by disobedient, unruly, unsubmissive children. I picture flying on the airplane one time and there are some children that just rule that that home. And it's just everybody feels it, you know. No commandment breaker can inherit the kingdom of heaven, she says. Now, remember why we're studying about the family circle, okay? Family circles are church circles, and as we bring our families into gospel order, it will also bring the church into order. Order is followed closely by unity, and with unity comes power. Not man's power, power of God. He can bless us because we're in order and we're unified. We'll be prepared for the latter rain power to finish the work for this time and hasten our Savior's return, see? So as we look at the responsibilities of the family circle, we're getting a good lesson on church order. You know, leadership and membership roles within the body of Christ. 
And we see a parallel right here. A stubborn, disobedient, rebellious child was removed from Israel by stoning. A stubborn, disobedient, rebellious church member is to be removed from church membership, of course, after due process according to the Scriptures. Matthew 18, etc. And unless this person repents and is changed by Christ, they will continue to grieve away the Holy Spirit. They'll eventually be removed from the Lamb's Book of Life. So do you see a parallel there? The Adventist Home, page 300. Children and youth should be missionaries at home by doing those things that need to be done and that someone must do. Pretty simple statement. Being a missionary in the home is one of the roles of the mother, you remember? And so children are to learn from her example. And by their obedience, they'll be fitted to be a missionary outside of the home. Okay. Here's a fourth item. Fourth item is that children are to honor their parents. Young people today, too often, and so many of them, they mock, they ridicule, they openly flaunt themselves in front of their parents. Their disobedience. They're indifferent, they don't care. Such conduct is encouraged by many aspects of our society. It's ignored by many parents. Well, they're going to do what they're going to do. Not in my home. <laughs> the Lord would have children honor their parents. We know this. It's a commandment. Fifth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And this command, it's repeated in Deuteronomy 5, verse 16 as well. Now, some might think that obeying and honoring are the same thing. But let me tell you that you can obey and yet still not honor your parents. What does it mean to honor? Well, Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 edition, puts it this way. First, it says to revere, to respect, to treat with deference. That means to yield your opinion to your parents. Um, submission perform relative duties to second definition that they, they give says to reverence to manifest the highest veneration for in words and actions to give to manifest the highest veneration for in words and actions to entertain the most exalted thoughts of to worship to adore. So, children are to revere, respect, and treat with deference, uh, submit, perform relative duties to their parents. They're to behave in such a way as to, to show their parents the highest of regards. Now, children aren't to worship their parents, even though parents do stand in the place of God to them. <laughs> you know, We're only to worship the Creator God, isn't that true? Not any other being an idol or a human or an angel. But uh, I think you're getting kind of the point. You're to hold them in such high esteem. And here's something else to think about. Parents aren't to worship their children either. But we see a lot of that today. Ephesians 6 verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayst live long on the earth.
Adventist Home, page 293. Parents are entitled to a degree of love and respect which is due to no other person. God Himself, who has placed upon them a responsibility for the souls committed to their charge, has ordained that during the earlier years of life, parents shall stand in the place of God to their children. And he who rejects the rightful authority of his parents is rejecting the authority of God. The fifth commandment requires children not only to yield respect, submission, and obedience to their parents, but also to give them love and tenderness, to lighten their cares, to guard their reputation. Your name means something. My dad taught me when I was very young. Protect your name because it's the family name. Your actions reflect upon the family and the family name. Guard their reputation. She says, and to secure and comfort them in old age. Parents, you see, friends, have God-given authority and have generally done much good for their children. There are some bad parents, don't get me wrong, of course. But they, they deserve to receive res- respectful treatment. And that includes the way children speak to them. You know, sometimes children have attitudes. Well, we all do, don't we? But sometimes children do, not to your parents. Whatever your intentions may be, they need to be respectful towards your parent. My children, I do not allow my children to call me Joel. That's disrespectful. Well, why would they? But kids today, kids my, that are the same age of, as my kids will refer to me as Joel. And I refer, uh, tell them, that's Mr. Laswell. Because that, to me, is disrespectful. And kids today aren't taught respect. Respect your elders. Have you ever heard that? I was taught that growing up. Yeah. You can call me Uncle Joel if you're related to me. You know, if you're my... You know. Well, it's a matter of respect. Now, the old saying is that respect is earned. And... I think that's somewhat correct. I don't think it's always correct. Um, though the Lord would have us honor our parents regardless of what they do for us. Um, if you want to be respected and honored by your children, though, parents, how are you to behave? You must be respectful and honorable. <laughs> you know, because they learn by observing. If you want your children to love you more, you must love them more. So, you see how it goes. That's that's that learning process that they get from you. Uh, The Adventist Home, page 198. The best way to educate children to respect their father and mother is to give them the opportunity of seeing the father offering kindly attentions to the mother and the mother rendering respect and reverence to the father. It is by beholding love in their parents that children are led to obey the fifth commandment. And... This is why when we started out talking about the family circle, the family unit, I spent some time on communication between the husband and wife. And you've got to have that love there, the love of Christ in their hearts. 
That's the key. We have so many dysfunctional families today because the husband and wife are at odds. And you see that it ripples out through the whole family. One more item that gets overlooked a lot in the world today is that children are to care for their parents, especially when they're elderly. Uh, And this falls within the fifth commandment, friends. Notice this, the Adventist homepage 292. There is no period in life when children are excused from honoring their parents. Well, what does this mean? You know, the elderly people today, and we're close to them, my wife works with elderly. That, I think that's kind of her calling, her, her ministry, really. Um, but elderly people today, they're often neglected or they're, they're shipped to nursing homes. Not because this is uh, really needed for the proper care of the parent, but because the children don't want to be burdened with the responsibility of caring for them. I see it. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is the case for every person, okay, um, that's in a nursing home, but I've seen it so many times that it appears to be the norm. There are a lot of people in nursing homes today, friends, that are left there really to die. Is this honoring your father and your mother? The Lord has a lot to say about that. Proverbs 23, verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. And friends, I'm, I'm hurrying along here. I'm going to go a little long. I hope you'll bear with me. When children are unwilling to care for their elderly parents, they really lack appreciation for what their parents did for them. And not only that, if they profess to be Christians, by their actions they are actually denying the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Some people think that's just pertaining to husbands. That's pertaining to children too. For their elderly parents. I don't know if any of you have read much of the testimonies, but I want you to listen to this one. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 272. The matter of caring for our aged brethren and sisters who have no homes is constantly being urged. What can be done for them? The light which the Lord has given me has been repeated. It is not best to establish institutions for the care of the aged that they may be in a company together. Did you hear that? The light which the Lord has given me has been repeated. And what does the Lord say? It is not best to establish institutions for the care of the aged, that they may be in a company together. Nor should they be sent away from home to receive care. Let the members of every family minister to their own relatives. You saw this all throughout the Old Testament, friends. When this is not, well, even into the New Testament, too. Um... She says, when this is not possible, the work belongs to the church. 
and it should be accepted both as a duty and as a privilege. All who have Christ's Spirit will regard the feeble and aged with special respect and tenderness. God suffers His poor to be in the borders of every church. They are always to be among us. And the Lord places upon the members of every church a personal responsibility to care for them. Have you ever heard this before? Oh, yeah, in Asia, it's, it's very prominent. This is still the tradition. She says, We are not to lay our responsibility upon others. Toward those within our own borders, we are to manifest the same love and sympathy that Christ would manifest were He in our place. Thus we are to be disciplined that we may be prepared to work in Christ's lines. Beloved, I'll tell you, this too is a subtle attack from the devil upon the family unit. Honor is lost for the elderly and that trickles down through the family as a whole. And we're at a point in, in our history, a point that prophecy has said, has told us about, where even the government would rather give our elderly a pill to die than to revere their life. Millions of abortions since Roe versus Wade. And yet, we think we are a people, a nation, a culture that values life. And that's exactly what the devil wanted, see? Now, I want to share a couple examples quickly, as quickly as I can, from the life of Isaac that I hope will help us to understand better our you know, the roles are our roles, I can say, as children. Now, many have heard the story of Abraham and Isaac and their trip up the mountain to, to offer sacrifice. But the story often is told um, from Abraham's point of view and not so much from Isaac's. And we know that the struggle that Abraham went through in obeying the word of the Lord to offer his son Isaac. I mean, he went through days of inner agony and heartache, you can imagine. Um, but what about Isaac? How did Isaac respond to his father when, when he was told that he was to be the sacrifice for God? Let's look at uh, Genesis 22, verses 9 to 12. And they came to the place which God hath told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So it says, he bound his son. <laughs> I mean, think about this now. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now, what you will find is that Isaac behaved just as we have discovered a child should. He was subject to his father. He listened to his father. He obeyed his father. He honored his father. He cared for his father. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 152. At the appointed place, this is speaking of, of this situation here, at the appointed place they built the altar and laid the wood upon it. 
You'll see here that Isaac was subject to his father. He went with his father there, didn't he? Huh? Did you? She goes on, she says, Then with trembling voice, Abraham unfolded to his son the divine message. Isaac listened to his father. It was with terror and amazement that Isaac learned his fate, but he offered no resistance. He could have escaped his doom had he chosen to do so. The grief-stricken old man, exhausted with the struggle of those three terrible days, could not have opposed the will of the vigorous youth. But Isaac had been trained from childhood to ready, trusting obedience, and as the purpose of God was opened before him, he yielded a willing submission. He obeyed his father. He was a sharer in Abraham's faith, and he felt that he was honored in being called to give his life as an offering to God. So Isaac honored his father. He tenderly seeks to lighten the father's grief and encourages his nerveless hands to bind the cords that confine him to the altar. He cared for his father in his old age, didn't he? And now the last words of love are spoken, the last tears are shed, the last embrace is given. The father lifts the knife to slay his son when suddenly his arm is stayed. I'll tell you, it's difficult to imagine the mingled feelings that must have surged through through Isaac. Amazement, terror, submission, finally faith and trust. And if such were the will of God, he would count it an honor to yield his life in sacrifice. You know, Isaac was about 20 years old. People, you see pictures and stuff, and he looks like he's about 12, 13, maybe 14 at the most. He was 20 years old, friends. He was at an age where he could leave his father's house. But he, was, he submitted himself to his father. There's a second example in the life of Isaac that will help us to understand the roles we have as children. And this principle has been ignored and perverted, really, for far too long. And we see the results of this in the number of broken homes all across the land. Let's go back to Genesis 24, verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now, I want to break this down all too much. I mean, it was a, a, an oath that had to deal. And when they say, uh, um, put your hand over my thigh, it was an oath dealing with uh, the uh, sustenance of the family, the family line. You know. And so, he swore that oath. Now, in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 171, notice what we read. In ancient times, marriage engagement Engagements were generally made by the parents, and this was the custom among those who worshipped God. 
none were required to marry those whom they could not love, but in the bestowal of their affections, the youth were guided by the judgment of their experienced God-fearing parents. Do you see that much today? It was regarded as a dishonor to parents and even a crime to pursue a course contrary to this. Isaac, trusting to his father's wisdom and affection, was satisfied to commit the matter to him, believing also that God himself would direct in the choice made. Boy, I tell you, what love, what trust, what faith displayed here. Now, Isaac wasn't the only one uh, with such trust. He trusted his father. But Rebekah behaved the same way. Let's go back to Patriarchs and Prophets a couple pages further. Page 173. After the consent of the family had been obtained, Rebekah herself was consulted as to whether she would go to so great a distance from her father's house to marry the son of Abraham. She believed from what had taken place that God had selected her to be Isaac's wife, and she said, I will go. Friends, I'll tell you, we don't see such trust and parental experience and counsel much anymore, especially when it comes to marriage. Isaac was 40 years old before he was married. Did you know that? Forty years old. Well, I could go on about that, but I encourage you to read Patriarchs and Prophets about that whole uh, situation there. But beloved, if we are to have the gospel order in our homes, we must be willing to do God's will and have the faith of a child. Jesus said, Matthew 18, verse 3, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Have we not learned this in our study? We are all children in God's eyes. The parents are to encircle the family members and prepare their characters as jewels for the crown of Christ. They are to love, to teach, to discipline, and and prepare their children as missionaries to the world. And children are to be subject to, to listen, to obey, and honor, and care for their parents. I'll tell you, friends, would you like to belong to such a family? Would you like to belong to such a church? Notice this, pamphlet 123, page 45. The most powerful sermon that can be given the unbelieving world in recommendation of our faith is a well-disciplined family. Children that are educated to habits of self-denial and self-control and are taught to be courteous, kind, and affectionate will make an impression upon minds that nothing else can. Jewels for his crown. Do you know that the present crown of the King of England includes many jewels? Over 2,800 diamonds, almost 300 pearls, you know, a dozen and a half sapphires, a dozen emeralds, half a dozen rubies. It's a beauty to behold. You gotta, if you have access to the internet, you can look it up and take a gander at it. But I want to tell you something. That crown of jewels is temporary. It's going to pass away. It's going to burn. 
We want to be a jewel in the crown of Christ. Amen? And His crown will last for all eternity. And you know something else? We will last with it. God has promised. Our scripture reading, Zechariah 9, verse 16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of His people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon His land. To be fitted for that day, we have to be consecrated fully to the Lord today and onward. Consecrated as individuals, as families, as churches. Friends, the Lord is building His temple, jewel by precious jewel. May we be builders with Him by bringing our children and others to the carpenter of Nazareth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You so very, very much for Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for polishing us, for being willing to, to see value in us. So much value that You poured all heaven out in Christ so that we may be a member of the family of God again. Lord, we pray that by grace we not hinder Your work. May we aid in the work of developing our character to be like that of Jesus. May we, by grace, order our home after Your precepts and Your principles. That it may flow out to the church as well. That we may be one, as Christ prayed for, in unity, receive the power of the latter rain to finish this work so that sin and the devil can be destroyed forever and we can be with the redeemed in Jesus for all eternity. We thank you so much for your promises and for your undying love. May we be found faithful when Jesus comes. We pray in his name. Amen.